everyone. Welcome back to Straight Up. We hope you're all very well today. We are going to jump into a very fun interview with one of our faves, SG Lewis. But first, let's have a little rundown of our weekend because we actually had a cute Friday night together, did we not, Han? We did. We actually hadn't hung out for ages. Actually, I say that. I think we actually went to a bar yeah. together like two weeks ago. We haven't hung out for ages with our respective partners for a year. Yes. That was fun. It was really cute. Little double date. Yeah, it was a double date. So we went to what I would call perhaps the sexiest bar in London right now, Soma. Mm, yes. It was so, so cute. I'd never been before. E, you'd been once, I think, hadn't you? Yes. And you were very excited to show us this date night spot, but also really good for groups. It's on Denman Street in Soho. It's actually really well hidden. There's just a security guy and it's in the basement of the Indian restaurant Cricket, which we also we love. love. We've been known to lunch there in Brixton. Um, the big one in Soho. Soma is just underneath and it's kind of like all dark with this massive table in the centre where you can sit around and they're also making the drinks. And then there are like cozy snug bits on the side as well yes. we did both didn't we it's perfect for groups because there's also a back bit with like a, a lot of a, a big seating area but also perfect for date night as you say for the little archway two seaters I just love the old school feel of just all being around this enormous table together and you could like hang out with the bartenders also they swap your cocktail if you don't like them they're all really young they're all really cool I wanted to like be friends with the bartenders and have a drink with them that is that kind of vibe I know they were so nice Although we actually didn't switch any drinks because they were so yummy, weren't they? And I feel like we did such a good selection of the menu. Like we each had a few different ones. We all sipped each other's, which is quite a nice way to do it. Yes, I really recommend the coconut, which comes in this really fun hot pink colour, which I love, which is gin, coconut yoghurt, citrus blossom and pink grapefruit soda. It was fab. Also, the Perea, St. Teresa, uh, 1796, plum, Perea, green chilli and champagne for a very chic beginner I know I couldn't believe how like refined they were like the one with coconut milk in it um I think it was the pomegranate I thought that would be like therefore milky in color but it was like a really clear pink really pomegranate very very delicious Ooh, I, think I loved your pomegranate drink. one yeah wasn't that nice and I really really loved the galangal which I swear you had as well yeah that was like the kind of it was a vodka base again I was thinking to like stick to the same spirits at first and it had a kind of hard lemonade vibe and I mean that in the best way like lemongrassy kind of sharp loads of lime Do you know what? I think it was a take on the mule and this is what's so great about this bar is though even though as we've suggested the the drinks are quite adventurous they are categorized on the menu so you know exactly what kind of drink you're getting so like by the um by the one that's most like a margarita for instance it will say margarita by the one that's most like a mule for instance one caffeine just talked about it says mule so you know where you are oh yeah there's like an old-fashioned there's kind of like their take on each of the classics yes exactly also really? we weren't there till the very end because we had to hop on off to dinner but it's open till 3am on Fridays and Saturdays. I really want to go back around like midnight. I bet it's a really fun kind of like loose but sexy chic vibe where everyone's like... I know, to each it's other. so buzzy. Yeah. I reckon you could stay there all night. Like you could 100% go for an 8pm reservation and stay till 3 and barely even notice the time had gone. And you'd be like, oh my God, you've just been submerged underground in this like amazing little den. Yes, I definitely feel like that. And finally, we should let you know that Soma is uh, Vedic Sanskrit to mean distill and extract. 
if in case you were Which wondering. Which makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Like we just said, with all the drinks being so refined. And also, when we saying, I think there's an element of like pre-mixing because they come so quickly, mm. usually in cocktail bars, you obviously have to wait a little while for your drink, especially if it's really busy, like a Friday night. Here, you order, you blink, you have a drink in front of you. It's fantastic. It's stunning. I loved it. Can't fault can't it. Can't about it enough, quite frankly. I've been three times. That's how much I love it. So um, a real. I'm actually really excited to go back. Yes, let's go back soon. Other than that, I would like to tell you that I went to a very funny uh, guilty feminist podcast recording on Saturday. Oh yes, I've been dying to hear about this. Go on, yes. tell me everything. So was I, it fun? It was really fun. So I actually don't listen to the Guilty Feminist podcast. Um, I think it's one of those things that as soon as some, something becomes too successful, I go off it. Um, yeah. Which is, I think, what happened with with Deborah Francis White's podcast, which, if you don't know, was literally like the number one podcast for a while, and it very much starts with the started with the whole thing of I'm a feminist, but. I love a man to pay for me on the first date. Things like that. Like essentially things that we should be guilty of if we are self-ascribed fe feminists. Um, but uh, a friend was like, oh, please can we go? She's bringing a light, like a, a roster of other female comics and performers on stage for International Women's Day. And I have two new faves. One of them is called Michelle Desuarte, who is a model turned comedian who was very funny uh, she had this whole skit about what it's like being um the not posh friend joining a really posh and i mean like proper posh like aristocrat posh friendship circle so that was fab and then the other one i really loved was called helen bauer who did this very funny skit about how women all have one favorite tit do you oh uh <laughs> i very much no do. i don't know well, now you say that, I'm feeling like more of a kind of warmness towards the left, instinctually. <laughs> a if I had towards to. the left tip. But then I'm like, no, maybe I don't. I don't know. But then I'm like, is that just because I'm left-handed? So it's like <laughs> the left side of my body. I don't no, know. I think it's because you have a symmetrical breast privilege, maybe. Well, I think also mine probably just aren't really like big enough to have like a hugely noticeable difference. Mm, I still stand by symmetrical breast privilege. But anyway, clearly hit a nerve. Hit a, hit a lymph node with me. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm unhinged. Sorry, anyway, so uh, it was very good. I recommend you listen to the recorded episode, probably out on her podcast uh, next week. Also, she really laid into the one man in the audience. Um, the poor guy, honestly, clearly just come with his girlfriend or something. Probably, like, was frog-marched to the event by her. Once I went to, like, a feminist spoken word poetry event, like a poetry slam, and Marlon and his friend came with me, and the friend, like, got up and left halfway through. <laughs> oh, no, see, that's worse. Because he just felt... He just felt too awkward. He was like, oh, I am the root of all evil. I feel like I should just go. <laughs> See, a good male feminist would just like sit through the guilt, you know? Luckily, we were sitting at the back so he could sneak out. I mean, look, I've left a feminist talk before. Sometimes they are dull. Um, and that is... That's quite on brand for the guilty feminist. on brand. Also, babe, one thing I would like to get your thoughts on, uh, which has nothing to do with the guilty feminist, but does have something to do with hot women. Maya Jama has been rumoured to be having a thing with Leonardo DiCaprio. 
Okay, I haven't heard this, but this is like exceptionally exciting incel. So yes. continue. So I first got wind of it last week when um, The Sun ran two stories of her and Leonardo DiCaprio both being uh, the only ones left or the in the last group standing at two BAFTA after parties one night after the other. And I was like, oh, that's just The Sun trying to make, you know, no- something out of nothing. It's just they were they were at the same party, essentially, whatever. Um, but then they were both at the Paris uh, fashion shows last week. And uh, the son then had a story with pictures um, showing that Maya snuck into his car after the party. And there's a picture Ooh. of her being shielded by his bodyguards with coats. Like there's actually like a line of them with their coats up to try and shield her. But it's quite clearly her because she's got her distinctive baby curl, uh, baby hair curled and her and a black hood. She was wearing a like black hooded dress. Uh, Interesting. And usually with Maya, oh my God, I hope when so. she really hates a piece of gossip, she'll like do some shade on her Instagram story. Yeah. Like, Don't believe what you read. But she hasn't done that. And even if it's not true, that is some good PR right there. That is such good PR, and I just love that. That would be, like, amazing. I would find that quite couple girls. Also, she's probably up in his upper age (laughs) bracket limit. Well, exactly. Apparently, the son was like, Leonardo DiCaprio's trying to prove that he doesn't just, like, go for young girls. It would be an improvement on his relationship record, so... Exactly. And And obviously, I mean, just goals, Maya. Yeah, exactly. I think it's quite fab to have a bit of, like, Hollywood sheen to your dating rumours, you know? Yeah, and also, like we say, just generally great on both sides. I'm, I'm definitely liking that. I'm going to keep an eye. However, I don't see it being a match in terms of um, personality and humour. No, but he is meant to be quite fun, oh, is, he? is he not? He's a party guy. Yeah, that's why he's always like in the clubs and stuff. He's meant to be like. Yeah, I just wonder if he shares the like jokes, British goofy humour that um, Maya has. I don't know if he'd like get her Instagram videos of her like, you know. Yeah, miming a lot. I wonder what other British friends he has. We'll have to look into it. We'll have to look into it. Report back. Do, do some sleuthing. I really want to know. Moving on to a different topic, can you tell me everything that you know about the idol? Oh my because god! Because I have purposefully not gone into much of an internet wormhole for this because I feel like you are officially the expert. You did an entire newsletter on it, did you not? I've literally held myself back from reading it all weekend i did so i can hear from the horses i am so excited to watch this okay so guys if you don't know the idol is the long awaited much delayed new hbo show from sam levinson who is the creator of euphoria very controversial as if you watch euphoria you'll know that like there was a lot of beef about on-screen nudity and nude scenes being taken out and um some of the actors not being that happy with him on set um it feeling a bit gratuitous yes sometimes. exactly i think sydney sweeney told me she had to ask for some scenes to be removed of her boobs i mean my god there were so many already i don't know how like what, what more there could be <laughs> yeah um anyway so the director of the creative euphoria and also the weekend he obviously needs no introduction but is trying to slide into hollywood he also has a film uh, that he's working on that's just been announced Anyway, so it stars Lily Rose Depp as a impressionable young pop star who gets groomed into a cult, the cult leader being The Weeknd. And there were three trailer, uh, three teaser trailers that dropped over the past year and it looked really fun. It looked really juicy. It looked like it was going to be a really glossy, exciting, very sexy uh, takedown of fame. Um, exactly our kind of thing. Exactly. Very straight up content. Um 
And I've been asking for screeners from HBO for literally the last six months. They keep saying they don't have them. And what's happened is that the director who wrote most of the, uh, who also wrote most of the show, Amy Simons, uh, left just before um, finishing the show uh, because The weekend allegedly, didn't like the way that she had taken the show into a female direction and that there was too much right. of a female perspective, i.e. too much of Lily Rose Depp and not enough of The weekend. <laughs> so, um, Oh, my God. Yeah. What so, a narcissist. I, I mean, mean I don't know why I'm surprised. Yeah, but. exactly. So, he, so she left. There was a big Rolling Stone expose last week, which is where this all came out, and she pointedly did not comment. But I assume she's probably really pissed off that she's put in so much work and then just to have it completely rewritten. So she's got nothing to show for it. So that's when Sam Levinson came in. He got drafted in to rewrite it as The weekend wanted it. Um, and apparently this rewritten version has really upset a lot of the production crew who have been on board throughout this process, who I quote, have claimed that the show is like a male rape fantasy and like oh torture God. porn. And Otago Wagba, who's a brilliant journalist over here, said that it signaled the end of the Me Too movement. Um, so yeah, I'm like very concerned to see what, this is going to look like so basically it's like a super sort of male gazy seedy vibe now yeah i heard as well that like for instance they they reshot an orgy scene of lily rose depp just to get more nudity um from lily rose depp and like it just sounds like it's just male gaze but without any self-awareness and one person said it's turned into a satire about fame to the very thing it's meant to be satirizing Oh, and so do all the people that worked on it kind of hate it now? Yes. Uh, apart from Lily Rose Depp, who has jumped to defend Sam Levinson as a brilliant director who's very, very sensitive to, you know, her on-screen needs and very much is, does not feel exploited. I don't think there's any sense of exploitation from the cast. I think it's very much just like the script is shit. The story is shit now. And it's just like twisted i mean the, the whole show was built in a kind of like fun way in the teaser trailers like the the credits showed like from the twisted minds of sam levinson and the weekend but obviously that was just meant to be like an artistic okay. you know uh, an artistic exaggeration whereas i think now what's happened is it's actually become actually twisted yes twisted when the expose oh. came out in rolling stone uh, the weekend then shared a clip from uh the show the idol have i said it's called the idol yet i do that i did that classic thing last episode where i talked about something without naming it for ages um okay. <laughs> uh yeah it's called the idol anyway so the weekend posted a clip from the idol that hadn't been seen yet which showed lily rose depp and his character basically speaking to dan levy from Shit's creek who we love and dan levy's publicist character is saying you know uh, rolling stone interested in a cover and the weekend's character goes like, Rolling Stone, aren't they really irrelevant? And then Liz Lily Rose Depp's character goes, Rolling Stone is so past its prime. And then the weekend's character gets up um, Lily Rose Depp's character's Instagram and it's like, Jocelyn has 78 million followers. Rolling Stone has 6 million followers. Jocelyn gets nothing. Rolling Stone gets her 78 million followers if she does this interview. Like, how is this a deal? Oh God, what a burn. So yes, he did that such. in response to the Rolling Stone piece. Well, so that was his um, like reply. Yes, essentially, it's quite coincidental. But what's happened is that um, the weekend has shot himself in the foot because that clip, and I urge you all to watch it on Twitter, is possibly 
um, the worst one minute of acting I've seen in quite some time. Like it's it's like hilariously shit. Um, and Dan Levy's fans like mounted like a like a rescue operation to get him out because he was like obviously he's loved as an actor and Lily Rose Depp in the weekend just come across as like actual cardboard cutouts. Oh, I need to watch it. I'm going to do it after we finish this. I really like The Weeknd and this is all putting me I off know, massively. you're a big fan, aren't you? I mean, do you have yeah, any... Yeah, but maybe I shouldn't be. Like, you know quite a lot about him. Would you say he was an egotistic narcissist? I mean, his earlier music was definitely quite dark and I suppose could be considered like quite twisted or definitely was like quite sexual. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know, really. I'd always got the vibe that he was sort of more self-effacing just because he doesn't or has hasn't massively courted celebrity in quite the Mm. same way as perhaps other artists do but then again obviously he's like been with like Bella Hadid and Selena Gomez and stuff so I suppose it's not like he seeks like a completely private private life I mean yeah I guess he was probably just salty about what they released and so was thrilled that they happened to have that clip. Yeah, exactly. And was like, quick, make a social edit now. But um, but yeah, it hasn't turned out well for him. And now I'm kind of not excited to watch The Idol because it, like, I think I would have been excited to watch it even if it had all those accusations Bad reviews. of being twisted. Yeah, because it's like, I'm kind of one of see, I mean, twisted stuff can still Intrigued. be good, right? Um, but, but now that clip has shown me, it, no, it's quite clearly shit as well the acting is actually <laughs> the acting awful is shit. oh why does i think that is a problem with like when celebrities become so famous they can just heave themselves around any kind of like uh industry and they're like oh well i'm already a massive superstar so yeah of course i can do acting as well i can do it all you just said right that he's got another film coming out yeah with them um, general me. starring so he's on a role i wonder if he'll be better in that I don't know. It did not look. I mean, it's weird because he's like obviously a world builder, and in his music videos and stuff, he's great. But I think it's you still need to be a skilled actor to be good at dialogue, and it was that that was terrible. The dialogue, the like the chemistry, they'd be able to say a line in a way that a normal person would say it. You know. Oh dear. I mean, I can't even remember if I've seen Lily Rose Depp in anything. I think what's she been in? No, I don't. Refresh my memory. I can't think of anything either. I think she's probably going to be all right. I mean, even Dan Levy doesn't come across that well, honestly. I mean, it's just a shit show. So, on to our guest for today, one of our absolute faves, as we said earlier. It is none other than SG Lewis, who is a British 28-year-old Reading-born DJ, singer, songwriter, and super producer. He has worked with absolute megastars like Dua Lipa, Mabel, Jessie Ware. He's also worked with huge legends like Elton John, Nile Rodgers. He's beloved in the music scene. He is just, he's actually based in LA now. He plays like really amazing, massive gigs. He's like a Printworks classic. He's essentially like a young Mark Ronson, isn't he? That kind of like- Oh yeah, I love that. Production wizard. Um, And you loved his most recent album, didn't you babe? I did. I gave it five stars in The Telegraph in January. I am a big fan. I loved his previous album as well. And he is kind of like, a Pied Piper of Disco. Mm. I think that's what I said in my review because he just knows all those like funky, synthy vibes so well. We love a bit of him when it's like post-dinner drinks if everyone wants to get up and dance. Can't go wrong. He leads we you just to the dance floor. He's amazing. He really, really does. And also, he's just the nicest guy. I first interviewed him for GQ years and years ago, but he just is 
one of those on the level people so we wanted yeah. to get him on the show and actually you just got him on by DM DMing him which is nice yeah we wanted him to spill all his secrets about what it's like to be a super producer to the stars as well as a massive artist in his own right it was fabulous we had lots of fun um, so enjoy Hans let us know what you think of everything that we have discussed get out your phone immediately and leave us yeah. a review on Spotify or Apple do it guys so do it. we'll love you forever yeah Enjoy. Bye. So, yep, Basley, thank you for doing this. It has been so long since I last saw you. It has. It's been a minute. Great to see you. Nice to see you. Oh, okay, so before we start, I think quickly we need to tell Owls and the listeners about the last time we saw each other in person, which was at Dan's Lenoir, which for the people that don't know, is a restaurant in London, which is completely dark, like you eat in the pitch black and everyone that works there is blind. So yeah. that, was, that was an interesting dining experience. Yeah, I mean, oh my God, yeah, that was a minute ago now. Yeah, yeah, so basically, I mean, for anyone that's not been, you're basically sat in the dark and you're served food that you have to sort of put in your mouth without knowing what it looks like, which for, uh, I'm I'm a bit of a fussy eater. Like I love food, but like there's certain things that definitely uh, definitely freak me out. So yeah, that was definitely a a, a strange experience for me. Should say it was um, like a record label dinner to celebrate your record, Dark. That was the the through line. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. wow, you've got a great memory. <laughs> it was, um, yeah, so we kind of uh, the whole concept was uh, I was kind of doing this three part series called Dust Dark and Dawn, which is basically music for three different parts of a night out. And while we were promoting Dark, we decided to invite a bunch of people into a dark restaurant to um, eat dinner. Which uh, uh, I mean, it's a really fun idea. <laughs> it was a really like, fun idea. It was strange, yeah. like the way when you walk into the restaurant from the little bar before where it's in the light and you, everyone has to like have their hand on the person in front's shoulder and then you get like oh, guided yeah. to your seat. And like you say, you don't know what the food is. So you're like putting things like in your mouth and you're like, it's a bit of a strange, like discombobulating experience because yeah. you're like, is this uh, meat? Is it a vegetable? Like, what is this? I forgot about that, the, like, the like conga line that you take going in there. Yeah. I wonder if that place is still open. I wonder if it like survived it is. the pandemic. I checked before this. It is still going. Okay, maybe we'll have to go back sometime just for fun. Round two. Okay, so we always start with a icebreaker. Mm. Can you tell us about the last time you had a little bit too much to drink? So, yeah, I mean, pretty regularly. I, it was actually probably on um, on Thursday night. I was in Aspen and I was DJing. And um, I had to drive from Denver to get to the set. So we had like a, it ended up being a four and a half hour drive. So by the time I got there, I was, I felt pretty shit to realize. <laughs> so, um, so I was just kind of like so tired from the, the drive and stuff. And uh, the guys who run the venue, um, the Goldbergs uh, are kind of like uh, they're like really good guys and good friends of mine so when I got there they greeted me with this big bottle of tequila so I started drinking it on stage and then I got pretty drunk pretty quickly and just um, in the morning I woke up and there was videos of me like sort of pouring tequila down people in the front row's mouth which was uh, a <laughs> Um, and then a few questionable dance moves started making an appearance but um, oh, it's kind of one of those ones where I work 
I mean, yeah, it, it was fun at the time. It was one of those ones where you kind of wake up with the fear and <laughs> watch videos of yourself and kind of cringe quite heavily. And um, most of our guests have at some point embarrassed themselves drunkenly at a showbiz party. Do you have any shockers that you'd like to share? <sighs> any shockers? Um, yeah, actually, fun. It was um, GQ Man of the Year, actually, <laughs> and uh, there's just a lot of kind of very important, um, clever people in the room. And I just got really drunk and like, I started like, just, you know, when you get to a point where drinks just kind of slip through your hand and onto oh, the no. floor. Yeah. And I think like, you know, there was just, I think I like dropped a drink and it sort of nearly spilled and stormed you at one point, which I could hit. <laughs> yeah, that would be <laughs> not you know, ideal. Yeah. No, he's 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 definitely quite a tall man. On his Burberry suit. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm sure he wasn't too happy about it, but I definitely woke up with um the fear in that one for sure. Well, we always ask all our guests at what point they knew they were going to be someone. Did you feel like you had the X factor from a young age? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's funny the term like be someone, isn't it? Because yeah. like. The talent, I, as we call it in our industry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I was I was pretty awkward as a kid. I, I was I was kind of shy and just um, a bit reclusive, and um, I started playing guitar as a bit of like a social icebreaker. Like it was, it was kind of like if I could impress people with guitar playing, then maybe they would like think I was not a complete loser. Um, <laughs> so, um, so I was never like one of those kids that was like, yeah, I'm going to like be on the stage and I'm going to, and I used the, the idea of being on stage used to kind of like terrify me a bit, but, um, over time and this kind of over making music sort of in my bedroom, it's something that I sort of just ended up being thrown into a little bit. So I guess in answer to your question, I, I, I still don't know that I'm necessarily <laughs> someone. I think that I'm just uh, someone that's making music and people seem to keep connecting with it. So yeah, I'm kind of just making it up as I go along. This episode is sponsored by Huel. Okay, so guys, today I want to talk to you very quickly about Huel Black Edition, a high protein, super convenient meal that is literally my savior when it comes to squeezing in exercise and healthy eating around work. I'm sure I'm not the only one here that struggles with having time during the working day to make a nutritious meal. I optimistically did hope before I went freelance that I would have more time, but obviously that has turned out not to be the case. So in order to optimize my working day, I would tend to either buy a ridiculously expensive salad if I'm trying to be healthy or just buy some like crap quick junk food. God, I know, and I literally do not have time to meal prep in the evenings. I've tried so many times, but I never seem to be able to fit in. So Huel literally solves that problem so well. It really does. It is the ideal solution. Every Huel meal has a massive 40 grams of protein and 26 vitamins and minerals in just a 400 calorie shake. It's made of all these whole food ingredients like rice, peas, and flaxseed. It's totally vegan. Literally all you have to do is add water and shake. I blend mine up with ice and it's only £1.68 per meal. I've always personally really struggled with breakfast because I would tend to just not eat anything, feel really sick later in the day. I'm juggling so much from writing to editing to recording. So it really helps me be super disciplined with my time and Huel means it's just one less thing to worry about. 
very sensible. I just love it. I just really love how quick Huel is in particular. I've told listeners this before, but it is so useful just to be able to grab my shaker, put in some powder, add some water, and shake it on the way from the gym to the office. It also means I don't have my sugary crap cereal at my desk, which I used to. Um, so I feel so much healthier now that I've started my Huel journey. Also, fun fact, Huel has over 160 health benefits in every shake from all the vitamins. It's got iron, vitamin D12, vitamin C. I mean, you name it, guys, the vitamin's in there. So. Do join us and get your free t-shirt and shaker at huel.com slash straight up. That's H-U-E-L dot com slash straight up. You work with like so many icons. You have worked with Nile Rogers, Elton John, Dua Lipa. You also have written many songs with our all-time fave Queen Tublu, the absolute queen, uh-huh. um, yes, who came on the podcast is. recently and she was Zooming us from her place in LA, her like very cool sounding home, like commune vibes. Have you been over uh, for one? Yes, I've, I've spent many nights at Toves. And, the uh, ultimate jam? And, and yeah, oh my God, she's, I mean like, her and her husband and her friends, they're just like kind of all round goals to be honest. Like Cute. they live in this incredible house with all their best mates and they just play great music, eat great food, and just have the best time at any given moment, really. Oh, the dream. So who has been, of all those like varied artists, your absolute fave to work with, and why? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's really hard to kind of determine a favorite because every experience is so different, you know, and every, everyone is good for different reasons. You know, like the Elton one, was incredible because it kind of, you know, A, it was so surreal, and B, it kind of birthed uh, a friendship with, you know, someone I, I never thought I'd even meet, you know? But then something like Tove, you know, we became very close, like just actual real life friends. And um, that kind of makes that process just really I feel as well like every single person that I've spoken to about getting mentored or just having a relationship with Elton John, they always have quite a specific piece of hard-hitting advice that he's given them. I think he's quite like, um, what's the word? Uh, He's quite honest. Did he give you any any parting words? He, well, the thing about Elton is he he checks in pretty regularly, you know, like t- every two to four weeks, you'll just get a FaceTime and that's something that never gets normal, right? Because mm-hmm. you can be anywhere. Like I've been like in the car with my schoolmates and all of a sudden like Elton John pops up, you know, <laughs> and it's like... Guys, I've got to take this. Yeah, you know. And how has like knowing a people like Elton um, influenced your perception of celebrity? Because obviously you live in LA now as well. I imagine that you've had like a quite unique and interesting like insider look at the reality of fame and how it is sometimes not a little cracked up to be. Yeah, so, you know, I, I've sort of um, been around some, some very famous people just through working on their music or it's not an enviable thing in, in my eyes, you know, because when it really happens to someone, it, it means that they can no longer go to the supermarket, they can no longer live. It's very, there's so many normal things that they can no longer do. And like, and even just like, you know, let's say that you become super famous and then all of a sudden you want to go 
raving in Ibiza or something, and all of a sudden everyone in that crowd is going to be like, oh my god, it's so-and-so. So yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot of limitations to people becoming super famous, and I, I kind of, I always think, I think the more enviable situation is someone like Max Martin, right, who's like the biggest songwriter of all time, hugely successful, made a lot of money from it, but like could walk down the street and be fine in most situations. Because I think that, you know, that he has the respect of his peers and he can probably get a lot of the perks of like, you know, access and stuff, but he still has that kind of um, freedom in his own personal life. So yeah, it's definitely a, um, it's a strange thing, fame, but I think that there's still, someone said something to me once, which was, and it makes me think about people that makes, make music. They said, there's people that make music to perform and there's people that perform so that they continue to make music. As in, there's people who kind of make music because they want to be on a stage and they want to be adored and they want to, like, and that's, it's not like a good thing or a bad thing. That's just the thing that makes them tick. There's people that go on stage and, like, that's there. That's where they feel the most themselves. That's what Lewis Capaldi says, right? He's like, I hate everything about making music apart from the actual performance. Like, I hate writing songs. Yeah, he says something like that. He's like, I despise writing songs. I hate the promotion process. I do it all so I can stand on stage and perform the songs. Right. Have you ever had a non-music job? Yes. I I had a paper round when I was young and then I waited tables for a bit when I was also young. Did anyone famous ever come into a restaurant? No, but someone... This like rich guy came in at lunch once and like I ended up, so I was like 16, 17 and he sort of took a liking to me and he was ordering, not like that, just like a, in a fatherly way. As a waiter. And he was ordering all this Dom Perignon at lunch and, um, and I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to be in on a big tip here. And then he left absolutely nothing at the end. <laughs> so yeah, it's sort of an early lesson that like, you know, Rich people often are the ones who won't share their money. It's, uh, yeah, so... Yeah. But, um... Is there another um, early lesson that you feel was very formative in your early career? Be that a failure or an experience? I think it was just kind of the, like, value of, of money, you know? I think that a lot of, um... A lot of kids that get into music get given a record deal and they get like, you know, six figures put in their pocket at, at 18. And then they're like, oh, I'm rich. And like, you know, and and that can spin a lot of artists out. And I think that I've watched a lot of very talented artists like over the last 10 years kind of lose their way when they make a lot of cash quickly. And I think that just sort of having those jobs and sort of not having been in contact with that kind of money before meant that like I sort of valued it more and it wasn't just kind of like numbers on a a screen it was kind of like okay once everyone takes their percentages once they pay tax like you know in music it's very it's easy for artists to think that they're making a lot of money but you know even if they got given a hundred grand advanced 20 goes to the manager and then you, you pay tax and if they're paying in the top tax bracket if you're paying 40 percent tax on that and then if you've signed a 360 deal of a label you'd be paying 15 percent ancillary on that so 
you know, you're chipping away at the block and people might end up with 30 to 40% of what they're being given. So um, I think, yeah, some sort of like hard financial lessons, but ones that I'm kind of grateful for. Do you now like try and be really sensible with money? Like, sorry if that's a boring question, but are you someone that like invests or thinks about the future and bricks and mortar? And I feel like I've seen Ed Sheeran say that before that he recommends to any musician that he ever meets who asks him for like financial advice. He's like, just put it into property, commercial property. Yeah. Like whatever you can, that is the number one safe way to like make your music bucks last longer. Yeah, I'm um, I'm now kind of getting into that mindset. I kind of spent most of my early 20s being the guy that takes his friends on holiday every year and just kind of oh, like, which, I, which I, don't, I do not regret a single bit because I have like the best memories of taking 20 mates away and being in Ibiza for a week. Okay, tell us a bit about that. So it was my 25th birthday and I'd always said that if I could ever afford to like bring my mates somewhere to like Ibiza or something and just to like pay for everything that I would. And 25 was the first time I like made a kind of amount of money in a year where I could kind of open that as a possibility. So I got booked to play Pasha Ibiza main room um, on my 25th birthday. So I said to my mates, I was like, right, we're doing this. So I booked a villa and um, just like this, booked this big house in Ibiza, had like, I think it was like 14 or 15 of my mates out and just proceeded to spend like five days just partying and hardly sleeping. And one of the days my friend surprised me in return and we went out on this boat and, um, I just remember the last night because I remember the last night was when I was playing Pasha and I was already a bit shaky from the week of um, from excess. So um, so I played Pasha. It, it, I had all my mates in the booth with me, like jumping around like lunatics. It went amazing. So then we went straight to DC 10 and we caught, by the time we got to DC 10, it was ending, but we were sort of just starting our, our night. So then our flight was at midday the next day, so we didn't end up sleeping. And uh, I got on a flight home and then went straight out to birthday dinner with my parents. So I when I got the Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was, uh, that, was, that was definitely pretty special. Oh, cute. I love that. Have you ever had to look, after, look out for people that maybe want to take advantage of that generosity? Like, was that ever a hard lesson to learn? Um, I think... I think I'd like one of the things I would give myself is I think that I have a pretty good sense of of people and um, their intentions and like it's very easy to tell pretty early on the people that are there for the right reasons. What's I think, the what, what's like on. the telltale signs in the music business? Is it the people that just are always always like the last people it's, hanging on? to any event yeah or... it's, it, it's it's just like it's it's you know it's people that are interested in you as you know the thing that you present so in my instance S.G. Lewis instead of Sam you know which like and it's pretty clear which one people are there for just immediately and then you know there's definitely people along the way that you'll notice want to take advantage of um, you know free access, free tickets, uh, whatever. And have you ever been starstruck by someone? Yes. 
Um, so Pharrell is like my absolute idol. And um, basically pretty early on, he, he has a radio show or did have a radio show called Other Tone. Scott, it was with Scott Venner, and Scott Venner um, basically put one of my songs in Ballers on HBO, and that was kind of how I got my head start in the US, and probably why I have like an audience here. And um, when I came to LA for the first time, um, he was like, um, he was like, oh, you should come down to the studio, we were like recording, and I was like, holy shit, okay, so I go down to the studio, and, and in walks Pharrell, and he kind of like, <clears throat> He walks around the group and introduces himself to everyone and sort of speaks to everyone as if they're like the only person in that room for the moment. You know, he comes around and there's people he knows really well and he speaks to and then he comes up to me and he's like, hi, I'm Pharrell. Great to meet you. And I, I was just like completely jaw on the floor, just like could hardly speak. Um, and I sort of like mumbled something about like, you know, how much I love him and then Scott was like oh this is SG Lewis we played his music on the show and Pharrell was like he was like ah and he was like ah thank you for the beautiful music and like put his hands together in like Pharrell style and I was like Ooh. And, oh yeah, was, can yeah, I get crazy. a photo yes I did well I, I couldn't bring myself to, to ask for a photo and then as I was leaving I said to Scott like oh um, it's Pharrell around, I just want to like say thanks for having me down. So um, I walk into a studio and he's like working on some music and um, and um, basically I was like, oh, Sam's leaving, do you mind if he grabs a photo? So Pharrell came over and like, he sort of did the Pharrell pose, like the prayer pose, and it's not a pose I'd ever strike, but I just panicked because <laughs> I saw him doing it. So. I put my hands together too in the photo. It's like the two of us side by side with <laughs> our hands together. And he he looks effortlessly cool and I look like I've never put my hands in that position <laughs> in my life. But, uh, but yeah, that was pretty crazy. Well, at least you tried. You got yeah. your pick. Okay, so that's like a fun perk of the job. Can you give us a little example? You know, as we said, we know there's plenty of costs of having the job that you do, but there are mm. also some great freebies that kind of thing can you give us a little example of like the best thing that you've had as SG Lewis rather than Sam oh let me have a think about that I feel like you're like yeah, quite a fashion I mean, person these days you must like get gifted a lot of clothes I feel like since I've last chatted to you you've been doing like more and more and more fashion stuff yeah so I would say um I'm a big fan of Acne Studios and um uh, there was a very lovely man called Lucas who used to work there and he just started inviting me to go and sit front row in Paris and stuff and so I went over to Paris and I took like one of my mates and sat front row for like Acne Studios which was like pretty crazy experience and then I guess um, the other crazy thing would be like I mean I won't name names but I, I, I met someone along the way and sort of made a friend in them and I told them I was going to Mexico once and um on a night out and they were like oh just stay in my house and um I was super drunk at the time I was like yeah sure whatever and sort of woke up in the morning with like a confirmation that I would be staying at this house that I had no idea what it looked like and sort of turned up and spent a week by myself in this like incredible 
house in Mexico with like a chef and stuff and I just I'd never really been around anything like that and that was just pretty mind-blowing as well did you have a do you know who I am moment a moment where you got maybe a little bit too big for your boots and your friends had to take you down a peg or your family (laughs) or maybe you just wanted to get to the front of the queue at a very good club which would be fair I think the thing is my friends are constantly kind of um, taking me down a peg um I've never done, I've never been like to know who I am. I can say that like hand on heart. Um, but there was a very um, well-known DJ slash uh, singer that was in Pop Bitch this week. You know, the newsletter Pop Bitch, the gossip newsletter no. that did use his name last week to get free dancers from strippers in a massive strip club for him and all his friends. I did hear this. Did you? <laughs> Did they say on Pop Bitch who it was? Yeah. Who? Fred again. Oh, oh my God. They're really like going for him at the moment. I've literally been, I've seen about five stories about him in Pop Bitch recently. They've, Wait, they've got, what is Pop Bitch? Oh my God. It's the best newsletter ever. You're going to have to yeah, go you, away after this. Can you send yeah. it to me? Send, yeah. send me the link. I want, I want to be linked up. No on one's that. safe, but don't worry. We've never seen you on there. It's like literally, <laughs> yeah, you just, it's like, it's a very basic like looking newsletter. And then when it comes through, it'll have like gossip from like, celebi circles but also it might be like overheard at like Whitehall or whatever as well I'm just sending you the link and then also get like blind submissions from people who read it Um, it's got a bit of a demoir vibe yeah I had seen that on Twitter about uh, uh, Frederick (laughs) (laughs) Um, but let me think of the like so (laughs) actually this is a good story so um, back when I was living in London um, this is kind of an example of my friends sort of constantly humbling me. Um, and so back when I was a uh, single, we'd be in the pub and we would start, uh, you know, if we were talking to girls at the bar, so my friends would always try and sabotage me. And there was kind of two ways. The first one is they would always say that I'm a wedding DJ. So like, <laughs> if we got in a conversation, they'd be like, what do you do? And they'd be like, he's a wedding DJ. And I, I could just never bring myself to be like, actually, I'm not. I'm well on that. So I would just kind of like freeze and be like, uh, they'd be like, oh, that's so cool. And I'd be like, yeah, I'm a wedding DJ. <laughs> um, and then the other one was my, my friend Elliot. We're in a pub and he starts talking. I was playing pool and he starts talking to this girl. And, um, and she's like, is your mate S.G. Lewis? And he goes... Nah, that's not him. Anyway. <laughs> and he would just like, deny it. Oh my God, that's like, anyway, quite a good me. one. <laughs> yeah. I actually <laughs> read a really funny story the other day that um, Caroline Flack always used to sign autographs from Alexa Chung because people always used to get them confused and she would just sign them as Alexa when people It's just easier. Them. Yeah. No so. way. Oh <laughs> my God. <laughs> <laughs> I, the, the weirdest one I ever had was um, I was in LA in a bar and someone came up to me and he was like he said something like I can't believe you're here and I was like I was you know like I think this is quite a while back and I was like oh this is cool like I was like this is and I was like oh cool and he was like he said oh I just I I love your films and I was like huh and he was like you are Joseph Gordon-Levitt aren't you (laughs) and I was like what like, that's not even, like, close. And I was like, no, that's not me. And he was like, he was like, come on. He was sure. like, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, no, no. 
it's really not me and I don't really look anything like him and I'm British <laughs> that's so funny yeah, do you find great. that people think that like you having a British accent is very exciting in the US it depends where you are I think that in LA they've heard enough British, British <laughs> they're accents over it. that like yeah you know they're, they're like yeah but um, if you're in like middle America or like uh, even just in Aspen where it just was people will you know, they'll be like, oh my God, like, are you English? And uh, you kind of, I think people assume that you're like more intelligent than you are when you speak in a British accent. Like, <laughs> people think that you like have some kind of um, higher opinion, but Interesting. You know, it's not really, it's not true at all. So yeah, it's, a, it's definitely, it is definitely a secret weapon over here. And what about like the reality behind the gloss in terms of some of the things that are hardest as a musician in 2023, would you say it was maybe the touring? Like how much better has the music industry gotten them in terms of like the, the kind of environment and the safe environment for touring musicians and DJs in particular? Like I read Avicii's mm. biography and it was just shocking. Yeah, it's, it's I think um, more and more people are starting to speak about the hard realities of touring. And like, you know, for instance, like I think if any, if anyone looked at my US tour and the shows that we did, like the Mirage and the Greek and these like, you know, five, 6,000 cap venues, they would assume that it's like a money-making like operation and they'd be like, oh my God, they must be raking it in. And the truth is that like, I lost a lot of money on that tour because it cost an extreme amount of money to take, you know, there was 15 people on the road for that tour. Every time you get a hotel, there's 15 hotels. Every time you get a flight, 15 flights. Oh everyone has a day. Everyone has a day rate. Everyone has food that you need to cover. So you think about it. It's thousands and thousands a day to um to keep a show on the road. And I think that um, we, as an industry, kind of present this like Instagram perfect like woo just played another big show and like like life is great but then like the reality of that kind of um financial liability is can be tricky so you know it's always hard to speak about because you don't want to sound ungrateful because it's an unbelievable situation to be in and anyone would cut their left arm off to get to play the greek theater and play to you know thousands of people but I think that there's a kind of wider conversation about artists and labels and the ownership of music and, and sort of um, where that money goes because a lot of money gets generated by music that doesn't go into the artist's pocket. Yeah, I was so surprised when we had Dermot Kennedy on and he was saying, he was literally like lying up to play Madison Square Gardens, like the biggest venues ever. And he was like, I'm not going to make much money on this tour. Like this is not a money-making operation. This is about like taking the music to the fans. Whereas that ran counter yeah. to what I'd always thought, even as a music journalist, which is that these days, oh, there's hardly any money in streaming. So artists make the bulk of their uh, money from touring and merch was like the narrative, I thought. Exactly. Well, this is the kind of catch-22, right? Which is the artists don't own the music. The majors own the music. So then a lot of the time, the artists aren't generating money from the sales of their music. Even if, you know, you go on Spotify and 
every million streams about five grand, okay? So then if someone's doing five million monthly streams, it's like 25 grand. And so that's going somewhere, right? But it's going to the labels because you recoup out of your own percentage. So yeah, you know, it's a very complicated issue. There's so many different sort of pockets of, of, um, of where money's generated in music. So if you don't mind us asking, what's your like main revenue stream? If it's not like- DJ. Yeah. DJ, because I, I perform live and when I perform live, I don't really make money. But when I go and DJ, I just turn up headphones, USB sticks, and play music in a club. And that's 90% of my income stream, I would say. And um, it's funny, I always give new artists the advice of, even if you don't make electronic music, just learn to DJ. Because when you go on tour, even if you're a singer, you can go book the local club to play afterwards and you go pick up another couple grand every night on tour and it's the only thing that saved me from going bankrupt in like my yeah, career it's so been like is um and it, you know not everyone can be a great dj but everyone can learn how to do it it's not rocket science you know but and then it's just you can you know you can't teach someone taste but you can teach them how to beat match. <laughs> And you talk about clubbing, obviously your music is very inspired by club culture. Um, would you be able to give us any good recommendations of some of the best clubs you've been to, ideally around London, because I think there's a dearth of good after hours nightlife. And don't say print works, because as you well know, it is closing. Yeah. Sad times. Yeah, oh, so sad. Um, and print works closes at 11pm, which I actually love. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, lo- I love print works and it's like an incredible venue to play, but it's, it, you know, it's not somewhere that you can spontaneously turn up at you know okay. um, I, I used to live next to Phonox in Brixton and I always love Phonox just because it's like a no nonsense 500 cap room with good DJs good sound system pretty like does what it says on the tin and then there's some amazing clubs that I haven't been able to go to more recently just being away and stuff like uh, Fold obviously there's Fabric which is legendary um but I, I've, I'm sort of out of the loop of London slightly where I'm over here. And then on an international level, um, Zamna in Tulum is pretty crazy. It's like an open air sort of, it's like a festival in the middle of like, it's like a, a venue in the middle of the jungle where like, you know, there's like palm trees surrounding you and like the sun rises. So that's pretty crazy. And then DC10 in Ibiza is like just kind of clubbing mecca for me. Oh, amazing. We always ask everyone, is there something you'd like to set the record straight on? Is there a misconception about you that you'd like to correct? Be that an absurd rumor on the internet, something you've Googled about yourself, or just a paranoia you have? There, there's a really good one. There's, um, there's a really, really strong rumor that I'm five foot two. Oh my God, another <laughs> height related one. This, is, yeah. this comes up a lot. Yeah, so people think I'm 5'2", which, like, um, I've basically started leaning into it. <laughs> so, like, people started making TikToks, and I started, like, reposting them about being 5'2". Where does this come from? So, I have no idea. It's, like, a random, if you Google my height, the first thing that comes up <laughs> is, like, 5'2". And, and so it's kind of just, like, spread on the internet. And so um, now when I, like, meet fans at shows, they're literally, like... You're not five two. <laughs> like, 
And like, I, I always assumed that people knew I was joking, but people don't. They like, well, how are tall are you? That. Yeah, I'm six two. Oh my oh, god! Yes. Right, <laughs> you've fair. all heard it here first. Yeah, Go and edit the so, Wikipedia. Five two, that's short. Quite, wow. Yeah, I quite enjoy, like I quite enjoy yeah. the room, but I just the thing is, like, I don't think I look short. <laughs> <So> like. <laughs> I'm just kind of confused. You look like you have quite a tall upper body on this Zoom. Maybe you did a set where the decks were like really high up and so it just made you look shorter, but actually your feet were like quite low down. It's it's so, I would get like tagged in like videos on tour of people being like... Oh my God. Hey, but it's a nice surprise when you do turn up and you're a whole foot taller. It's good. Hey, it's always good to set the expectation low. Exactly. (laughs) In life. What would you say is the most liberating thing that you've ever done? We actually stole that question from a previous guest because it was so good. Oh, the most liberating thing I've ever done. Wow, that is a good question. I think that, okay, so basically my my dad growing up, grew up in a council state in Maidenhead and kind of, um, he he never got to experience like live music or festivals or anything like that. It was very like, you know, go to work, hate your job, provide for a family. And he, he did very well for himself, but he like, you know, he sort of had like a, um, a very like just um, transactional relationship with his job and stuff. And so, I took my parents to Coachella the first time I played and I kind of like was able to give him this like awakening experience where he he came and he watched Calvin Harris and I had this photo somewhere of him like on the barrier with his arms up like and he was just you know at like 50 years old it sort of like open this whole new world to him and to my mum as well and kind of and so now like I'm, I'm playing Coachella this year and they're both coming out my brother's coming out and just being able to like a like financially like be able to be like come out and then be um to be able to kind of like share those experiences with them is, is definitely like a rewarding thing are they like proper festival heads now yeah they go about me now yeah like <laughs> They're like, they've been to Glastonbury without me. They're like, yeah, they're properly like love going to festivals now and are probably up to no good. That's so cute. So this is slightly off piste, but before we finish, I feel like one of the most interesting things you've told me in our previous interviews was about songwriting camp. I have literally remembered that for years, but I can't remember any of the specificities of it. It blew my mind because I'd never heard of it before. Can you just explain to Els and to the listeners what a songwriting camp is and what that experience was like? So a songwriting camp can vary pretty greatly, but the one that sort of springs to mind was they rented this big house in Palm Springs, right? And I turned up on like the third day. It, had been go- it was going all week. I get there in the morning, like 10, 11 a.m. and like, the front door is open in this like mansion and I go in and like no one's awake it's just like dead and I was like what the what's going on here and like slowly people start waking up emerging and basically songwriting camp is a bunch of songwriters and producers living in like 
this mansion for a week and it's basically just like a free-for-all for writing music. The idea being that the setting and the sort of boiling pot of, of talent is like an environment where um, it breeds creativity. But, you know, there's people there's people doing drugs to open their creativity there's people staying up till like 8am because they're like locked in on an idea there's people sleeping on the floor it's like it's like a frat house for songwriting it's like um and it's just one, one of the craziest experiences because those people are some of the best people at what they do in the world so you know it's like this thing that is very um, profitable business-wise and very like sought after is kind of created in this almost like university <laughs> environment so um so yeah they're definitely pretty intense and you definitely have to sort of bring your a-game that sounds amazing surreal and scary but amazing also yeah like I've I've like you know I wrote a song that on one of those camps that then for a year and a half, nothing happened to it. And then it got flipped, rewritten, and it ended up being like a country song on this, like, on this country singer's album. And that was like such a strange, surreal experience because you just go in and you provide some information and it sort of goes on a journey and ends up somewhere else. So yeah, really crazy. And we always ask a question from our previous guest. So um, this guest is Jordan Stevens from Rizzle Kicks, and now making music under yeah. his own name. Um, he wants to know what animal would you be and why? Um, this is such a boring answer, but I get told that I have golden retriever energy a fair bit. Oh. Um, I don't and know you, if it's because your parents have one, right? Oh, they got a golden doodle. So oh. yeah, she's like. She's a she's a mix, but um, I don't know if that's because I'm smiley or because I'm dumb, but maybe it's a combination <laughs> of both. It might that's be a combination so of both, but um, but apparently, yeah, I I, I always I had golden retrievers growing up and stuff, but um, but yeah, yeah. I'm a uh, I think no, I probably will get one. It's because you're you're friendly and you've got like okay. kind eyes. Stop not, it! Not dumb. <laughs> Dogs <you>. aren't dumb. <laughs> I'm blushing. <Yeah. laughs> Um, and do you have a question for our next guest? What would you tell yourself, your former self, 10 years ago? What advice would you give them about your career and how they could navigate the crazy world that they're in? Ooh. What would yours have been if you could have given yourself a piece 10 years ago? Trust your own gut and don't listen to people, which... <laughs> Sounds bratty, but everything that you think or that you think you have to learn or everything that someone in the industry, every opinion on the music, just ignore all of it. Just trust your gut. If something's good and it makes you feel great, then follow it. Amazing. What a fabulous note to end on. Thank you so much, Thank Sam. Thanks, Sam. Thanks so much, guys.